This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. Power Business, my rants and cents. At 19.39 on this Wednesday evening on Power Business. And of course, we go into my rants and cents and we do this every single Wednesday at around this time. What are we trying to do here? We're trying to normalize conversations around people's relationship with money. Uh, We have a very strange relationship with it, especially as African people. Kind of hush-hush, maybe speak about it when things are tense and not so much when things are good. And so we're trying to make sure that we get as many executives here as possible to come and speak to us about how they've journeyed with their money. And this evening, I am joined by CEO of DL Energy Resources Group, Linda Mabena Olagunju. Linda, always a pleasure. Good evening. Thanks for having me. Good evening. Thank you for speaking to us this evening, Linda. And I think, uh, you know, we've had you on Power Suite before, but maybe people are not uh, familiar with who you are. Before we get into the nitties about you and your money, tell us about yourself and your work. I'm the founder and CEO of DLO Energy Resources. We are a 100% black female-owned energy company operating in the renewable energy sector. We own one of Africa's largest wind farms. Very, very interesting work you do there, Ellen. And of course, an entrepreneur now, that hasn't always been the case. Maybe let's take it all the way back to uh, your relationship with your money and maybe how you would describe it in this present moment. Um, I have a newfound respect for, for liquidity, I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> Um, and in terms of my relationship with money, I think it's important to see money as a tool, an important tool for business, an important tool for, you know, um, the things we value in our personal lives. So I, I view it as a tool to assist us in achieving the goals that we have set for our lives and for our businesses. Has it always been uh, one where your outlook on it is, a, is a slightly more positive, Linda? And I always uh, try to reference our childhood here, what the relationship was like, what the conversation was like around money at home. I think we had a very fluid uh, relationship. So for me, from a very early age, and I suppose that's my entrepreneurial spirit, I always understood that money was an important part of life and, you know, in terms of access. So I always had a small business as a child, either selling sweets. I always liked making money. I always liked creating an opportunity for myself to make money because I knew it either led to uh, something as simple as an extra ice cream or a doll or an opportunity for me to to go and play games, right? Um, But growing up as well, I'm blessed to have had parents who were open about discussing uh, money. My dad really, especially... Um, succession planning. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad uh, started speaking to me about, uh, you know, wills and um, insurances and savings from a very early age. Uh, and so I've always sort of grown up understanding um, money from that perspective. Let's also talk then about your first job uh, and what that was like, making your own money. Uh, You've said you've always been entrepreneurial in spirit, so you possibly always had some money. But now you're a fully-fledged working adult, so that has its own, uh, you know, dynamics. So what was that like? Yeah, so, I mean, I'll talk about my first, So, like I said, from from the age of like seven, I can remember having like, you know, a side hustle, as we'd call it today, (laughs) whether selling sweets or 
or, or food at school. But my first um, formal job was working at a spa, right? Mm-hmm. And um, remembering how hard I toiled as a packer and remembering how hard I toiled for my salary, I started to respect money. So I wasn't as free in spending it because I know how hard I'd worked for it. Then fast forward to my first uh job with let's say the formal economy as an attorney and my first salary there was 8,000 rand right I I started realizing there wasn't a correlation necessarily between the hours you work Mm. and what you earn right Uh, because anyone who's a candidate attorney will tell you um, we work very we work very long hours So so I started thinking about ways to one um, free up more time, but also give myself freedom to do multiple things in order to to earn a bit more, right? Um, and for me, that's when I really started interrogating how one can optimize their opportunities to make money, but also have time because life is finite, right? Mm. We We are all going to die. So I wanted to make sure I still had time to have joy in my life. I mean, speaking about that, let's talk about, you know, placing uh, value on joy, uh, Linda, and maybe overcoming that. Uh, for many people, I guess, we, depending on how the relationship with money is, it becomes very difficult to uh, think of enjoying money in a time when people could possibly be uh, strapped for cash. But the, the thing of enjoying money is a very important one and maybe one that we also have a rather strange relationship with. Well, most definitely. I think we can we can straddle between two lines, right? We can either be excessive in our enjoyment, meaning we're prioritizing uh, immediate uh, satisfaction and gratification over a long-term view. And I think it's important to, to have a fair balance between both, right? It is important to enjoy some of life's moments, uh, but it's also important to plan for the future. And... Um, most of us, I mean, I think all of us have made that mistake with first salaries where you blow it and you blow it on things that are uh, excessive and not really required. And then as time and maturity sets in, you begin to understand the importance of valuing money and making sure that it lasts longer. Um, and also realizing that your income generation years also um, are also quite limited, right? As you get older, you're not going to have the same energy that you had as a 20-year-old, right? And you're, you're not going to be uh, able to do as many things as you would like to do, you know, from a time perspective as well. So there's a very big correlation and link between time and money. And I think that's something we often look past. And uh, it's important that we sort of like realize that we're not going to be afforded all the opportunity in life to be making money. So it's important to save as well. You did mention mistakes. Uh, Linda, I'm keen to talk on some of the ones you have made with your money uh, in the past, if any. Mm, there's so many um, that I've made uh, in the in the past. I would say one of my the, the biggest or silliest mistake I made is, again, just um, sort of like focusing on immediate uh, gratification, right? My, my um, guilty pleasure is, is travel, right? And I think we all enjoy travel. But I've since come to understand and learn um, that it's important to understand how the money you are spending 
is going to be replaced, right? So especially if you are traveling for pleasure, that's great, but um, how does that impact your your plan, right? Mm. So one thing I've done differently now, or I do differently now, is to also save towards um, the travels that I enjoy for pleasure, not for work, right? Mm. Um, the, the travels that I enjoy for pleasure is putting aside a budget for the things that bring you joy and bring you a pleasure so that you're also working towards those things. And I think previously I used to spend money sporadically on the things that bring me joy, but it's also something that goes into a budget and it's something that you plan towards. And if you adopt that approach, you you, you are then more, um, how can I say, um, specific about the countries one you want to visit and you allocate a budget towards each country and and you work towards that budget. And I think um, if we adopt that sort of measured approach towards the things we enjoy, um, then you're able to enjoy life, but also uh, be measured and still save towards that rainy day. I also want to speak about entrepreneurship and the transition from being, uh, you know, a lawyer and in full-time employment lender to uh, then becoming an entrepreneur. Because I imagine, I think you mentioned liquidity, that can lead to liquidity issues, but also uh, lifestyle adjustments possibly need to be made. Oh, most definitely. So I went from being an attorney who was super independent, drove a luxury car. I lived in a beautiful apartment to moving back to my childhood bedroom and driving a what they would call a starter pack it's not even a starter pack like a student car right mm-hmm. um and it's very hard to sort of downgrade once you have enjoyed and tasted freedom and the luxuries of life but for me it was certainly the best decision so i always say material things are great but i don't necessarily have uh, an attachment to them mm-hmm. M- meaning uh i associate myself with to my own internalized values, not an external thing, right? And um, it's, it's one of the things that prevents a lot of people who are in employment uh, who may be looking to make that move towards entrepreneurship from doing it because they are worried about how they will maintain their current and existing lifestyles. So when I made the jump and the leap from employment to entrepreneurship, I knew that the lifestyle which I had become accustomed was not going to be sustainable as an entrepreneur when you're not earning, right, for for months or even years on end, right? So what I um, what I first did was did a mental adjustment. Mentally, I had to downgrade myself and my life mentally, but I knew that there was a long-term play and I was ready to make the sacrifice in the short term for the long term. But one of the interesting things I observed during this time in the period were the friendships, in inverted commas, that fell apart because I was no longer able to to provide even the lifestyle that extended uh, to my then friendship um, group. And, and that's very interesting to observe as you do make your journey towards entrepreneurship that, um, yeah, even your circle changes. 
Yes, and I'm actually glad you mentioned that issue of friendship because that certainly is uh, right there on my next list of uh, the talking points here, Linda. The issue of friends and money and even when you have it in excess and now that you're older and definitely more sober, I think, uh, with your money, uh, are there any lessons that you've learned there about you know, keeping up with friends uh, but even being frank with friends about where you might be standing, how your finances may be, how much vulnerability is uh, normal, uh, you know, and how it is possible to have safe conversations about money yeah i think this this, this that's informed uh, mainly by you know the the friendships that you have and i think there's different friends categories for different discussions mm-hmm. right but one of the things and i think you have i have rules around money and friends <laughs> so one of them for example being uh don't loan money to friends rather give the amount that you know you can afford to give and you can forgive if it's never paid back. Uh, many a friendships have fallen apart because of uh, money issues um, where, for example, money hasn't been paid back. And it's important that in your mind you say, okay, I've got X amount I'm willing to, to give away or uh, be frank and direct and say, I'm, I'm not going to. And also, for friends who are in a better position financially as their friends, it's important to still maintain um, the friendship, meaning that you, you don't sort of step in all the time to take over the bill mm-hmm. because that in itself uh, builds eventually a resentment, right? That, uh, and an expectation that uh, this friend that has the money will be the one to take care of the bill or this friend... Um, um, is the one who's always going to loan us money, etc. So it's important to establish those barriers, but that doesn't mean, um, you know, as friends, you don't show up for each other in times of need. But just, but just expect that um, if that money is not paid back, you're okay and you're you're comfortable accepting that outcome. I must also ask you about the first time you sought uh, the advice of a professional when it came to your money uh, and the circumstances around that. Uh, sometimes we think that, uh, you know, seeking the advice of a professional might be something we don't need, Linda. But there's lots of ways actually of managing money um, and of also safeguarding money through uh, the advice of somebody who knows a little bit more than you. There is. Um, however, I find that and I found that when I was an employee, mm-hmm. I delegated a lot of um, my autonomy to these uh, financial advisors, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, To a point that you're not really understanding what's happening with your finances. And and I'll tell you what I mean by that. You know, for example, okay, putting X into a pension fund, X into a retirement annuity, but very few people actually dig deep and say, how is that retirement annuity doing? how much of that retirement annuity is actually being allocated towards fees, um, what is the investment portfolio that this uh, retirement annuity, what, sort of what, what asset class is it investing into, um, you know, what types of investments. We don't go deep. Once you, I think we, we become lazy as human mm. beings once there's someone allocated. Where I really started to go deep with my own personal finances is when I became an entrepreneur, right? Entrepreneurship will really humble you. Um, and it, it, you don't have the luxury of the financial advisors. You then end up being that financial advisor for yourself, but also for my business, right? Um, we deal a lot with financial models and we deal a lot with very big amounts, etc. 
but I wanted to understand the intricacies of my own business and the money flow. And you may pay all these fancy advisors, etc., but you as the business owner, you as the person that is responsible for employing people, then need to get into um, you know, understanding the finances of the business and your own personal finances, right down to simple things like bank charges. Mm-hmm. You'd be amazed um, at so many transactions that people are not aware of, either on their personal or business accounts, uh, because they're just not paying attention to detail and they're delegating that to someone else. It's a very interesting one there that you uh, bring up for us. And I must also ask you about, you know, money lessons moving forward. Uh, the ones that you would teach your children and your nieces and your nephew and just the young people within your community. What are some of the most important things you think, uh, you know, young people should know about money and as soon as possible? I believe, um, and this is a lesson that I also learned later in life. It's not enough to generate or make more money if mm-hmm. you're not doing the necessary work to cut your costs as well, save accordingly, and have a budget towards growing your money. So I think we grow up uh, a lot in our communities learning about, oh, if I make more money and make more money. And you find that many people have made a lot of money or more money than they thought they, they did, but they're not growing their money. And I think if we can teach our kids that fair balance between cutting costs managing your costs and saving and putting that money towards growth because saving alone is not going to create wealth. You need to find a way to grow your money. I think that's the lesson I wish I had learned uh, a lot earlier rather than just focusing on making more. Well, that's Linda. Linda, you are doing a fantastic work and a fascinating work there in South Africa's energy space. And I'm also keen to hear of some of that work. Uh, speak to us about this roundtable uh, that's coming up where we'll be speaking about hindrances uh, to SMMEs participating in the Just Energy Transition value chain. Yes, I'm so excited about the roundtable. And it all boils down to what we're discussing mm-hmm. a bit, but on a business level, which is also around funding. You know, we're, we we are proud to be in association with APSA. We're looking at uh, ways in this roundtable to fund more SMMEs to participate in the green economy. Uh, whether we like it or not, uh, renewable energy is here to stay and the green economy as well. And it's important that SMMEs find ways to tap into the opportunities within the sector, but also understanding how they can access funding um, to participate in the sector. It's one thing to have the business idea. Um, It's one thing to also maybe get a contract to do some work in the sector, but you also want to be able to scale and grow your business. And one of the things we're really excited about in in working on this roundtable is our association with APSA because um, APSA is a bank that is really serious about um, funding SMMEs. And we're looking forward to hearing some of the challenges the SMMEs are facing, but also some of the solutions that APSA is able to provide for SMME funding. Is it an open invitation? Can SMMEs who are listening now register and be part of the conversation? We are now at capacity, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, um, for for the roundtable, but we are going to be sharing uh, the findings from the roundtable on our social media platforms, um, as well as online. But this is the first of many discussions. And um, 
you know, it, it's just the beginning of what we have planned around this topic. So we will definitely keep you informed as well for your for your listeners uh, to see how they can participate in the in the next round. Brilliant. We'd actually be very keen to hear about it, Linda. It's been a pleasure hearing from you. Thank you so much for speaking to us about your money and also about this roundtable. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Fantastic. That was Linda Mapena Olagunju. She's the CEO of DLO Energy Resources Group, unpacking her relationship with her money for us, but also touching on that important roundtable. We'll make sure we have a report back. It's very important to speak to SMMEs that are trying to play uh, a role in the energy space. It does look like one of those places right now with high barriers to entry. And even if a, if a small business has a desire to play a meaningful role, it feels like a huge mammoth task to even try to get involved. So I hope Hopefully we can unpack all of that with Alinda after that one. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.